and welcome to the Writer's Anointing Podcast, where we guide you through hearing from God in the writing process and unleashing your writer's anointing. I'm your host, Stephanie Alton, CEO, Chief Publishing Officer, and Literary Doula with Cocoon to Wings Publishing. If you are a new or existing writer who knows you've been purposed by God to write the book the world has been waiting for you to share, Join me every Tuesday for a new episode where I'll be sharing revelations from the Lord, ideas, tips, and tools to help you write your book. Thank you for your support and for subscribing. Now, let's get right into the show. Hello, hello. Greetings. It's Stephanie Alton. Welcome to Storytime with Stephanie, our platform where we talk with authors, talk about their books, what it is that they're um, doing in this world, what are the stories that they want to share in order to set other people free um, to share their own stories. And Storytime with Stephanie is a segment of the Writer's Anointing podcast, which is a podcast where we share tips and tricks and tools on being able to activate your writer's anointing in order to write the story that the world has been waiting for you to share. So tonight, I am super excited because one, it's the close of season two of Storytime with Stephanie. And I cannot even believe that we've had two full seasons of this show. I thank you all for your support, um, just being here with us every other week and being able to dive into these stories from these amazing authors. And tonight we have a fantastic author, um, an amazing woman with us, Latarsha Houghton. And she is the author of Breaking the Silence, Breaking the Silence. And this is just such a powerful cover, so reflective of what Latarsha has been doing all these years to set people free using her own powerful story. So tonight we welcome Latarsha Houghton to Storytime with Stephanie. Latarsha, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello, Hello. Latarsha. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. I feel so honored. Uh, it's an honor having you. We're so grateful. Um, this has been an amazing journey just to see how you've been able to share your story, not just in speaking, but in the written form as well. And this book, Breaking the Silence, is just a true reflection of the amazing work that you did to get this story of years, years worth of pain and trauma and heartbreak into this power packed book. So tonight I want to spend some time talking with you about your story and what it is that you want to share. So tell us a little bit about yourself first, and then tell us how you got to the point of being able to write this book. Okay. Um, again, I'm Latarsha Houghton and um, I'm a transformational life coach. Mm -hmm. I, um, for years, you know, I did not know how to stand up for myself. I didn't know how to speak up for myself. And um, it wasn't until I was going through a really bad divorce. Mm -hmm. And when I was going through this divorce, um, I was already in therapy. And my therapist started um, helping me to see some things about myself that I just didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And as I was going through that, um, I just heard God's voice saying, you need to tell your story. And mm -hmm. so I did a conference first. And after I did the conference, that is when I said, you know, I need to sit down and write my, my story. Mm -hmm. um, I just felt like I needed to help people to break their silence and talk about things that a lot of times people don't like to talk about. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Trauma. Yeah. And you definitely, definitely have experienced a lot of trauma. And you've been able to, I would say, save so many people from just sharing this powerful story um, of the traumatic things that you experienced. You've also been able to take that, you you know, you went from a conference, you've written this book, but even before all of that, you created this amazing platform, Breaking the Silence, Healing the Pain. Tell us a little bit about that platform and what it is that you do through that organization. Okay, Breaking the Silence, Healing the Pain. Um, I We do support groups every, every other Monday at seven o'clock and the support groups are for survivors. Um, just for them to have a safe place to be able to talk about any and everything. And and so that they can feel comfortable and know that they're not alone. Um, breaking a silence, we bring awareness to domestic violence, sexual abuse, and emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. And um, in that, I felt like I needed to open up this platform 
because these are all the things that I went through. And going through these things, I said, you know what? We need to create a group where people can talk about these things. People can be open about it. Um, I can do research and post stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, for people to be able to do that. Then we also do conferences where we have different speakers to come up and talk about their abuse or their trauma, whatever they experience. And they don't just talk about it, but they talk about how they was able to overcome it. And now how they turn their pain into purpose. And so Mm -hmm. they that pain now to start helping other people to overcome their trauma. So we do that because we don't just want you to stay stuck in a pain, but we want you to turn that pain into purpose. Yeah, I love that. And you've definitely been able to take all of your pain and turn it into purpose for sure. Now, you talk about how you created this organization to be able to you know, um, have those survivors to be able to share those who've been through domestic violence, domestic abuse, sexual trauma, um, emotional abuse, and you've experienced all of those yourself. Now, you it started at a very early age for you. Which which form of abuse started first for you? And kind of tell us a little bit about that. How were you introduced into um, the abusive life that you you led? So um, I was about eight years old, mm-hmm. and um, I had a family member who used to make me do like real inappropriate things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hard for me because when my grandmother wasn't home, I didn't want to come in a house. So you know how you walk to school and you come home and you got to go in the house, you change your clothes and you sit down and you start doing homework. Well, I would stay outside and I would literally get spankings because I would stay outside until the, sometimes I would urinate on myself because I just did not want to come in a house and have to deal with that that sexual trauma. Yeah. Sexual yeah. Abuse. So, um, you know, and that's where it all started for me at the age of eight. So eight years old, here you are um, experiencing these um, acts, uh, sexual acts um, at the hands of people that you know the people who are supposed to care for you and love you, yet they're introducing you to something that's so vile at eight years old. Um, At eight years old, did you have anyone to turn to? Did you share with anyone in your family what you may have been experiencing? So I just feel like at a young age, we are always taught that what goes in my house stays in my house. Yeah. And so when you would run and tell things, you would get disciplined for that. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to these type of behaviors um, and sexual abuse, you're afraid to say anything or say anything because this person will tell that person, that person to tell another person, and then it blows up. And then if you're not protected by the right person or if you're not believed, you know, then there's going to be consequences and repercussions that I did deal with. So I just kept it silent. I kept silent. Hmm. So at eight years old, here you are, you're being sexually abused. You have no one to turn to. You're keeping it all silent. What what does that do to your psyche at that point as this little girl who has nowhere to turn to? What was that doing to your mind? What were you what were you having to do as an eight year old to be able to one keep that silent but still try to live the life of an eight year old child? So what I've learned in therapy was that that is where I first lost my mm-hmm. self-worth. Yeah. yeah. So I grew up insecure. Mm-hmm. I grew up um, feeling like everybody else was more superior. Yeah. And so I had to look to these people um, to get approval. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did not feel like I amount, I equaled other people. Like I was mm-hmm. always underneath, like mm-hmm. I didn't measure up to their standards or anything. Yeah. So I could not, um, I just did not feel like I was able to be myself. I wasn't able to, I always, I guess, want to say fake the funk. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. how to be authentic at all. Mm. I couldn't. So I just lived up when I walked around with this mask on for so many years. Yeah. And how long did the 
we'll start with the sexual abuse. How long did you have to endure sexual abuse from the time you were eight years old until when? I dealt with the sexual abuse at this particular house from about eight years old up until um, maybe 10 or 11. Okay. Okay. And you say that particular house, which means it continued on outside of that house. So what else was, um, you know, what else was happening outside of that house that um, still kind of perpetuated that cycle of sexual abuse that you were induced, um, introduced into? So um, at the age of like, 14. Well, at the age of like 13, I was seeing things that I shouldn't have seen. Mm -hmm. um, but at the age of 14 is when, you know, my abuse started by my biological father. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and just knowing your story and, and reading your story. Um, it, I won't say that was probably the most painful because all of what you endured was extremely painful. But, but knowing that at the hands of your own biological father, you endured sexual abuse. I think every young girl, and I didn't grow up with my father, right? So I couldn't even imagine something like that happening at the hands of my father. But every young girl who idolizes their father and just loves their father could never even imagine that a father would do that to their own daughter. Um, how did that cycle of abuse start with your father? Um, it happened be when... Um, I became a teenager and I feel like he started looking at me differently. Um, I don't know if it was because of him. He started using, he started getting high. Okay. So, um, and he would make me watch um, nasty movies, okay. um, pornography. Mm -hmm. And he would ask me questions about it. And I would tell him, you know, I don't like, you know, looking at this. Mm -hmm. He told me he would say stuff like, um, girl, shut up. You're so simple. Just watch it. You know, I'm mm -hmm. trying to teach you how to be a woman, you know, and it would be times where he would, um, you know, tell me um, what, how did I feel about two women being mm -hmm. having sex? And so, you know, it just started, it, it starts to hey, make you have a warped way of thinking about things. Mm -hmm. you know, um and I, it took me a long time to break that that cycle of thinking because he manipulates a lot and trying mm. to think that this is okay to do. You yeah. know? And so my situation was very different because I hear some women say, you know, their fathers like abuse them very young. Mm -hmm. um, and so my my situation was at a very young age, I've always adored my daddy. Wow. I was the daddy's girl. And so whenever I see my daddy, I was running, hi, daddy, you yeah. know, jumping his arms. You know, he would take me. Um, we were always, I love going to McDonald's, you know, because I love cheeseburgers and fries <laughs> when I was little. And, you know, he would take me um, to, um, like, it was like, back then it was called highs, but now it's like a 7-Eleven Wawa's. Okay. And to get, um, the rupee soda and we used to put the chocolate ice cream and make a rupee float and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, and he loved ice cream. So, you know, I had those good memories, mm -hmm. you know, and those memories where I just adored my father. Like mm -hmm. I kissed the ground my daddy walked on. And I think that that's every young woman, you know, growing up with a dad, you know, mm -hmm. you just like, oh, that's my daddy, you know, and you get so excited. So, you know, when this abuse started, like I was like completely shocked, you know, because it was very hurtful because in my mind, I'm like, do I do this? Because, you know, I want my father to love you. Now, mind you, I had already went through abuse at eight years old. Right. I had already lost my self-worth and the abuse had already started. So in my mind, I just felt like, well, maybe this is just the way it's supposed to be for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because it started at eight. And then mm -hmm. this was another family member. So now here we are again, like, wow. And so every time I was around a man that could be pure, mm -hmm. I, I conceived him as, I perceived him, I'm sorry, as this person, like my father, like the yeah. you know, family member when I was younger and stuff like that. So it just, you know, started making me think that, okay, well, maybe I should do this because, you know, maybe he might love me more or maybe mm -hmm. he um, 
you know, I'll get his approval. He'll stop yelling at me, you know, um, for every little thing that I do, or, you know, um, maybe he will, you know, um, just maybe I might feel a, a lot better than what yeah. I was feeling from when I was eight years old. So it, mm -hmm. it, it started messing with me psychologically. Yeah, absolutely. You almost begin to, especially because it happened at, you know, starting at age eight with family who's supposed to love and care for you. And now here you are as a teenager with your father who's supposed to love and care for you. It almost begins to warp your mindset to make you think, well, this is love. This is how they show love. Right. And so right. even as you go into adulthood, you begin to not not knowing that you're doing this, but it's like you become a magnet and you attract those right, right. that begin to do the same thing to you. And so you continually stay in this cycle of abuse because you were just raised in it and you thought that was OK. This is how they show love. Right. And so with your father, here it is. He began to introduce you as a teenager into pornography, you know, as you said, nasty movies um, to what he said, you know, show you or teach you how to be a woman. Right. How did it go beyond that? Or when did it go from watching, you know, pornography with your father to the actual sexual acts? Um, he <clears throat> he told me that. Um, so I would go in a bathroom mm -hmm. um, to the shower mm -hmm. and he started taking my clothes out of the bathroom. Um. And when he would take my clothes out of the bathroom, he would take my clothes and my towel so that I would have to come out of my bathroom to get to my bedroom. Yeah. And he would say, come on out of the bathroom because for whatever reason I needed to come out. Um, he also would, um, he started telling me that um, sometimes he would tell me he needed me to take off my clothes because he needed to see my body frame um, so that I can model um, or he would tell me that um, he do I want to be in a fashion show and build mm -hmm. it up to tell me I was beautiful enough to be in these fashion shows that he would have, but he needed to have me to try on lingerie and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So there was always kind of a lie, a lie right. generated to help you get to that place of feeling more comfortable around what? Why is daddy having me take my clothes off in front of him? Right. Okay. Yes. And then how did it develop into more than that? Um, so then one night he um, came up there and just got in my bed and I couldn't, I couldn't say anything. It was almost as if I was, um, I just was numb. Yeah. Like I couldn't say anything. I couldn't say stop. I couldn't say, you know, um, I couldn't say anything at that time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was just, um, it was very painful. I remember after the sexual act um, of going and getting in the shower and I just felt like I couldn't scrub myself enough to mm -hmm. I could get clean. Yeah. Um, and I just cried and I just sat in a shower and I just felt so disgusting. Yeah. I just felt so dirty and I couldn't um, wrap my head around what had just happened. And that was the first time. And that was at 14. At Fort, ooh, okay. Um, yeah. I see some people joining us um, in the comments. Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us. We are with author Latarsha Houghton and she is the author of Breaking the Silence. Um, just this book has been a number one bestseller, number one hot seller. It's been like tearing up the charts on Amazon and um, just so many people have been interested in hearing your story and understanding more around what you experienced, why you got to the place of breaking your silence. Um, and for those of you who will listen on the replay, Latarsha is the um, founder of Breaking the Silence, Healing the Pain, an organization she created to really help those who have experienced sexual abuse, domestic violence, emotional abuse, to be able to understand that they can to break their silence and heal from the pain of their past and turn that pain into purpose. And so Latarsha is sharing with us that since the age of eight, she has been um, sexually abused by family members. And we're in the part of her story where she's sharing about the sexual abuse that she experienced at the hands of her own biological father. Uh, and that started at 14 years old with him. And 
So that continued for about how long, Latarsha, that cycle of sexual abuse with your father? Until I was 18, my last year of high school. <sighs> so four years of sexual abuse. And you were living with your father during those four years? Yes. Okay. Where was your mother during this time frame? My mother was living, um, she had moved, she, my mother was living in Detroit. And when I was younger, she moved back to, um, she moved back to Baltimore. Um, I think she moved back to Baltimore when I was like in the fifth or sixth grade. I went to stay with her for a little while. And then my father came and took me back. Okay. Okay. And at any point while you were experiencing the abuse with your father, did you talk to your mom? Did you share anything about what was going on? So it was one time, I think I was about 16 years old. Um, I was over at my mother's house for the weekend and, um, because he would let me go, you know, over there for the weekend and stuff like that. Okay. I was over there and I told my mom, I said, well, um, my, I said, I um, feel like I'm getting too old to be living with my father. Mm -hmm. I said, can you please, um, I said, I want to come and stay with you. And she said, um, you know, Tasha, she said right now, and I have, you know, your, um, my nieces and nephews because she had custody of them. Okay. And then she also had my little sister and then she had her husband and her husband's um, nieces and nephew, his niece and nephew. So she had all of those kids and she was saying, you know, um, and I, you know, like for a long time, I found myself angry with my mother. Mm -hmm. But as I got older, I realized, and especially after going to years of therapy, because my, my therapist helped me to understand a mother and a father, right? And if you say you allow your child to go and stay with their father, it's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, it's nothing wrong with a mother allowing her child to live with her father, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and if a person is not in that situation, they're not going to look at it as, oh, he's abusing her. Right. For me, because I've been abused, and my daughter wants to go to her father's house. I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. You yeah. know, yeah. It's, you know, it, it, you you have to have experienced some mm -hmm. of what I went through to even to have that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. My mom wasn't thinking that way because she's looking at it like, well, my father is well established. Mm -hmm. He's doing well for himself. Mm -hmm. um, my daughter's with him and she's good, you know. So I didn't, you know, and I knew back then when my mother was younger, she had a really bad temper. Okay. And I did not know how that would turn out because okay. I was afraid that she might go to jail. I was afraid. And there was a time that I did even told my mom, like I said, I feel like my father um, is, is too hard on me. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, one time um, I told a family member that um, I hated my stepmother because um, she had did something that was very hurtful to me. And um, they told her and he slapped me in my face so hard. His whole handprint was on my cheek. And Ooh. when I felt my face, I could still feel, you know, the whelps. And mm -hmm. mentally it messed me up so bad that as I got older and every time I would think about it, mm -hmm. it just felt like, because when my tears went down my face, it, it just it stung so bad. Yeah. So I just felt that, you know, that, mm -hmm. that the, the raising in my face from when he had slapped me. So I, re I remember mentioning that to her one time mm -hmm. and I remember her asking something about that um, or even wanting to call um, Child Protective Service or something about that, but I don't remember what the outcome was, but I remember okay. um, getting involved at that point when I told her that, but mm -hmm. I was too afraid to tell her about the other stuff because I felt, I felt dirty. Yeah. I was too ashamed yeah. to even talk about that. Yeah. And one of our guests, Patrice, says, did you say anything to your um, guardian uh, counselor at school? Did you ever talk to anyone at school, maybe? No. No. So at that age, you just had no safe place to go, no safe person to talk to. Um, you just were kind of out there on your own in this situation. Um, and for four years in the house with your father having to endure that um, you know, there's some other things that you share as a part of your story in regards to, um, you know, being introduced to drugs at a young age as well. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how, um, where that introduction came from and how that was used 
in a part in the process of the abuse that you experienced? So at that time, um, my dad is was my family like adored him. You know, he had a lot of family that really looked up to him. So when you have someone like that and you see everybody is, hey, Uncle Shake, hey, Uncle Shake, you know, mm. and nickname. So you have all of these people running up to him and always asking him for stuff and being around him. And, mm. you know, like he was like their favorite. So yes. how could you go against that? Yeah. You know, and um, so um, I remember him having a dollar bill and he would folded in half um, and he had the white powder in here with a little teeny straw and he would always have it. It was always out. Um, mm -hmm. So let me go back because mm -hmm. um, I remember when I was a little girl, um, they used to wear the little bumper, the little rumpers. Yes. Right here. Mm -hmm. And he little rumpers. And I remember him having um, this really big Cadillac mm -hmm. and he went in a uh, the alley to shoot crack. At the time, at that age, I didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. So I just know he was in the alley shooting dice with some people and had me sitting in this real hot car. And mm -hmm. he had a sandwich bag or some Reynolds wrap or something like um, it had, and he had these capsules and it had some mm -hmm. white powder stuff in it. And he had me to stick it on the side of my panties and he told me, don't touch it. So the way that he said, don't touch it, yeah. I knew not to touch it. So right. I didn't remember or think about that it was still there, but I was sitting in the car and I took the cigarette lighter and I pushed it in. And when it popped back out, I started punching holes on his dashboard. So when oh, he, Lord. Thank me. <laughs> so, because I was just so bored. Right. That was the first time that I ex experienced um, the drugs mm -hmm. of seeing it. Right. Yeah. And it held on me. And then as I got older, you know, I would see him as a teenager with the, the dollar bill, with the, mm. the cocaine and stuff inside of it. I really didn't know or understand when I first saw it. But then as I got older, I was, you know, I knew what it was, you know, watching yeah. so many movies and all that kind of stuff. So um, then he um, actually um, told me to, that he wanted me to try it and was showing me how to do it. And mm. I said, I don't want to do it. And he said, um, he told me that I'm, I'm teaching you how to be a woman. And so this is going to help you to relax. You need to try this. And so I did it. And when I did it, every whenever he was going to do that, whenever there was going to be the abuse start, yeah. he would help me to, to do a line of the cocaine. So there was, there was a lot of um, interesting life lessons that he was clearly trying to teach you. And uh, Kim says, yeah, being embarrassed and ashamed took away your voice. That had to be difficult. Absolutely. Um, in a situation like this where you had no outlet you're afraid and this is your dad like you said everyone respected him everyone you know loved him and uh idolized him so how could you especially at that age come forward and say hey my dad is sexually abusing me right of course that makes you feel like i gotta go clam up and hole up in a shell somewhere and not say a thing right but your life kind of took a different turn when you were 18, 19, and you were able to get out of your father's house at that point. Tell us how you were able to break free, but then how you realized you really weren't free when you when you left your father's house. So at that time, um, when I was in a, my last year high school, um, I was actually staying a lot um, at my grandmother's house, my mother's mother. Mm -hmm. I was staying, uh, um, staying with her a lot. I think my father and his wife was going through a lot at that time. Okay. And so I was kind of like, my father would sometimes um, tell me, um, make me come back home. And then sometimes he would just let me stay over there. So I would just stay over there most of the time. Okay. This one particular night, um, I was actually, um, this was, I was in the 12th grade and my uncle had, um, my father used to give me capsules of cocaine to sell to people over at my grandmother, around my grandmother's way, because a lot of people around there and used to come over my grandmother's house used to use drugs. They all, okay. a lot of them did cocaine. And so I would go over there and I would sell the cocaine over there. And he, um, this particular night, my uncle, he's, my uncle's not that much older than me. My grandmother had him at an older age. Mm -hmm. And um, he had mixed up this cocaine and some heroin together. And I had never did heroin a day in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and he had mixed it up 
And so I said, what y'all doing in here? And it was him and his friend. And he was like, we got we got some of this. And I said, well, what's that? He was like, you you can see it. And I said, um, he, he said, come on. And so I went in there and I took a hit off of it. And when I did, all of a sudden, my heart started racing. Ooh. My eyes was like kind of going up in the back of my head. And my grandmother, um, and I'm called 911, and my mother came. And they called 911 and took me to the hospital. And that particular night, my dad came up to the hospital. And my mother had told him what was going on and what had happened. Mm-hmm. He came up there, and he took me. And he told me he was taking me home. Um, I remember them saying something about like a slight heart attack or something. And they said that um, it was called a speedball. If you mix heroin and cocaine or something like that, it, it turns into like a speedball. So mm. I guess, you know, I've never done it. And so, you know, I got sick where I was vomiting and stuff like right. that. So he um, so he took me back to his house that night after they discharged me from the hospital and he was fussing at me all the way home but i was kind of like in and out in and out mm-hmm. in and out like kept feeling like i was sleepy like i was i felt like i was doing something <laughs> <laughs> and you were <laughs> so um when we got back to the house i remember him sitting on the foot of my bed and he was um telling me yeah you want to um do cocaine um with other people you only supposed to have done that here and so he told me you're going to mm-hmm. do it again tonight and I bet you'll never do it again. And he kept, he was making me do lines of cocaine then. Woo. So that particular night, I remember um, him getting in my bed. And that night is the night. And I didn't remember it because I had suppressed it from years yeah. Is when I found out that was when I conceived my son. And, <sighs> I, and, um, and once um, I got away and I found out that I was pregnant, um, because I missed some of my periods. And um, so I had a guy who really liked me for a mm-hmm. long time. And he was he was a real, he was a friend. Like we mm-hmm. could always talk on the phone and stuff like that. And I, I had no interest in him at first. And he said, you never had no interest in me. And, you know, now you calling me and stuff. And he said, what changed? And I said, I just really like you. And so we started going out and I started clinging to him. And then, mm-hmm. and so at that time, I went and stayed with my girlfriend, Stacy, mm-hmm. and I stayed with Stacy for a while. And Stacy's, um, her her boyfriend at the time was they were stepbrothers. Okay, okay. And so they ended up getting their own apartment, and me and Stacy would stay out there. So I ended up moving in with him. Okay, okay. So at that point, you were already pregnant. You had been impregnated by your father, and here was this guy you you know you guys were friends and in a sense what you did was similar to what your father did to you right which was manipulate you into having these sexual acts with you and here it was you manipulated the situation to be able to get out of the house and get into someone else's house right right not that you did it with malicious intent but you needed to find an outlet Right. And here was this guy who had liked you all this time. So you were like, hey, I might as well take advantage of that situation to get out of the situation I'm in. Now, at the time, did you know that you were pregnant when you began to see the other guy? Did you know? Yes. Okay. Okay. And so what was that situation like when you had to share with him that you were pregnant? Um. So... I, I let a few months go past mm-hmm. before, you know, we talked about anything like that. Um, and I think that I started clinging to him so much so that I could fall in love with him. Right. And I I really did. Yeah. Um, and at that time, um, but I found myself still attracting abusers. Of course. Because he was abusive emotionally, not physically, but emotionally, you know, okay. cheating, messing with other women, um, you know, just, just, you know, just the typical going outside the relationship and stuff. Um, But when I went to him and told him I was pregnant, he said, are you going to keep it? Mm -hmm. So I said, yes, I'm going to keep it. And he said, okay. And then we just was in a relationship and we ended up, you know, I ended up having a baby and, Mm -hmm. you know, he just was there, you know. But by that time he thought the baby was his. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, you know, later, 
um, I had ended up um, years later. Um, mm -hmm. I was into church really heavy. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I, this woman was telling, asking me, was I upset with anybody? Um, you know, she said that she just felt in her spirit, like by the way that I responded to something, that there was somebody from my past that I had not forgiven. And so when I went to, um, when, when I was going through that, I had went to my father and tried to have a conversation with him. And during that time, I said, you know, I'm going to go to Tracy as well. And I had a conversation with him as well. And when I went to him, he told me, he said, I said, um, I said, Tracy's not your son. I said, he's my father's. I said, I was afraid to tell you mm -hmm. that back then. And he said, um, he said, I never wanted to hurt you. But he said, I knew hmm. that me and my mom and I just started crying. And he said, I don't want you to change his name on the birth certificate. Wow. I don't want to change anything about, you know, him. I don't ever, I want him to always know me as his father because I am his father. And so Ooh. he showed me that you know, that we would never have to go back down that road again because he didn't want to talk about it and he mm -hmm. just kind of swept it under the rug himself. Okay, so I'm going to have to say that man was sent by God because and there's not many men who would do that, right? Not many men who would know what you experienced, that you, your child that you brought into this world was actually by your biological father. And Erica says, wow. Yeah. It, some men would, 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 would recoil, right? Because they would think how, how could you even then keep this child knowing that it was from your father, right? But here's this man who, who stood in his manhood and in fatherhood and said, uh, don't change anything. He's still my son. Um, God bless him. For that and and I, I know just you know knowing you that he has passed on so we we just say thank god right for the time that he was able to be there um in tracy's life and to love him as a father um and to be able to even love you through what you were going through right, right? Mm -hmm. um so we honor that and we honor him for that um i see yeah. a, a lot of comments coming through because yeah this story is Whew, it's a it's a it's a look breaking the silence this is a page turner right here y'all let me get it in this this thing it will you see this picture of this woman with her mouth open like your mouth will open it just drops open as you continue to read yeah. because latarsha's story is is overwhelming the amount of abuse that she endured from eight years old to like 18 19 years old um, the physical sexual abuse, but also domestic abuse. You were married, um, not to your current husband, because your current husband, Kenny, is great, right? But you were <laughs> married uh, previously and experienced domestic abuse in that marriage. Um, you walked through, like you said, emotional abuse while you were with um, your you know, previous boyfriend. Like, tell us, what did that do to you as a woman? Because now you're in adulthood. And here you are, like you said, making wrong choices entering bad relationships. Uh, what were you thinking at that point? You know, were you just in a place of like, I, I just don't even care anymore? Well, it wasn't really domestic. It wasn't um, domestic violence. It was more emotional okay. and mental. Like okay. it was so bad. Okay, so I learned a lot about myself like mm -hmm. um, through that relationship. And so um, I called him one time and even told him that, um, you know, I had forgiven him and that I was releasing him because if I did not go through that relationship, I wouldn't be here today. That's right. Because that relationship helped me to be able to go to therapy. Yes. Because I had to ask myself, why do I keep attracting the same type of men with just a different name? Yes. <laughs> They look different. They sound different. They got a different name, but they're the exact, the exact same, same person. And so I couldn't understand it. And it wasn't until um, he had had, he went outside the marriage. He had three, he had two women pregnant at the same time while he Ooh. was married to me, two different women. And then I forgave him and worked through that because that's the Christian thing to do. Right. God hates divorce. So then 
Um, he ended up um, having another affair with a woman that was right across the street from my place of business, which I had an assistant living at the time. And he um, ended up um, having an affair with her and had ended up getting this woman pregnant. So he had three children wow. by three different mothers. And he had, I think, like five or six baby mothers. And um, he had all these kids. So I started going to therapy and my therapist mm -hmm. was asking me, she said, well, you know, what are going to be the consequences? I want us to sit down and write out a plan. What is yeah. going to be the consequences for, you know, him when he cheats again? So I would say, mm -hmm. okay, the next time he cheat, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. The next time he cheat and then he would cheat again. And then yeah. I would go back and I would be crying and she'll say, okay, we're going to stop. Let's mm -hmm. focus on something else because every time you say you're going to leave, you yeah. don't. So let's just, do something else. So I said, mm -hmm. okay. So what I did was I started focusing on me. Yeah. I started focusing on falling in love with myself. That's it. It That's the key. helped so much because yeah. once I started falling in love with myself, mm -hmm. it made it easier to be able to file for that divorce and walk away. Yes. But relationship, there was a lot of manipulation. Mm -hmm. There was, um, he could be a narcissist mm -hmm. because he would try to, um, he would always give me gifts um, when he did something wrong, like, okay, we're going to go on a trip or we're doing this and, you know, we need to get away. And, you know, mm -hmm. and then he would say, you know, well, I have a problem. And I even started going to therapy with him and trying to get therapy. But God was trying to show me that it wasn't him that needed to, to get the therapy and yeah. me him, I needed to focus on myself. Yeah. And that's why it, you know, you got to really focus on yourself because if you focus on yourself, you, you can't give anything from an empty cup. Amen. So Amen. I'm trying <laughs> to fix him going mm -hmm. to therapy for him thinking that, Oh, I need to help him and fix him. When all along I was the one that needed to be fixed. Yes. <laughs> so I have a lot of people in the comments saying that took a, a lot of courage. It did. It took so much courage for you to be able to do that. And so many people, and, I, and I'll say women in particular, right? The, the majority of our audience are female. And the, the key, and you said it, is loving yourself. You going through that whole process of therapy, all the things that you endured, you had to get to that place of self-love, self-love. Yes. Because it yeah. starts from within. If you do not love yourself, no one else can love you, right? You can think right. that they love you, but you don't even fully understand the depths of love, right? One, you don't understand the depths of love until you know the Father's love, right? And God the Father's love. And then when you love yourself, that's when it's like you have opened the doors for the right person to come into your life, right? And, and that's what happened to you through all of this trauma, through all this abuse, through all of the things that you endured, you got to a place where you were able to invite true love into your life. And so now you have your husband, Kenny, and mm -hmm. that's been just an amazing experience for you, how God was able to take someone from your past, right? He was one of your, one of your homeboys from the neighborhood when you were growing up. And now here he is all these years later, your husband. And that's just such a blessing because you got to that place of loving yourself. So yeah. what would you say to that woman who is listening to your story, right? And mm -hmm. she may be trapped in that place of pain. She may be trapped in that place of self-sabotage. She's been abused, all those things. And she doesn't know how, because some people say, I just don't know how to love myself. Like I don't. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that woman who says, how do I get to that place of self-love? It's so funny you said that I had somebody that called me up. And she said, mm -hmm. in your book, she said, I was reading. And she said, I did what you said you did. I put a, a picture yeah. of myself when I was a little girl on the front of my phone. I have my mommy up here now. Yeah. And I ended up um, looking at that picture. And my therapist told me, she said, every time you have to make a decision for yourself, mm -hmm. look at that little girl. She said, that little girl inside of you, she needs your love. She said she didn't been through hell and back. Yeah. And so right now she just needs you to love her. She needs you to know, she needs to know that you are there and that yeah. you're going to protect her. So one day I looked at that picture and I said to myself, I looked at the picture and I said, I'm never going to let anyone hurt you again. Ooh. 
And I said, I'm here for you. And I'm present. Mm. We're never going to go through that pain again. And whatever we go through, we're going to make the best decisions together. And so Ooh. every time somebody would call me and it was something that I didn't want to do, mm -hmm. I looked at the picture of that little girl and I said, how is this situation going to be beneficial to you and I? Ooh. Ooh. I love that. You, you brought the little version of yourself into the decision-making process. Right? I hate you. That was the you only thing I would learn how to love myself. Yes. And I'm, I have pictures. I'm in my office and I have mm. pictures of myself as a little girl in mm. different places in my office hung up. And yeah. so when I look at her, I say, girl, look at you. I'm so proud of you. And Aww. I do that. And I know that it might sound crazy to some people, but like- It's not. It really worked for me. And so, um, you know, thank you to Cocoon to Wings that we were able to even write a workbook mm. on self-love. Yeah. The workbook helps you how to love yourself and release and reclaim your power. Yes. And so it felt so good. It took me a long time to get there. Yeah. And so, but when I got there, I was able to look back and say, you know what? I can help somebody else do the same thing by sharing yes. your mouth. I got to yes. break my silence. Yes. And, and, and so Kim says that too. She's like, it's not crazy at all. She's done that. And and I've done that too. You know, you got to go back and talk to the younger version of yourself and be able right. to bring her, bring her into the now, right? Yeah. To heal those old wounds that little Latarsha, little Stephanie, little Kim, little Jamie, all of us have carried, right? And so being able to go back and look at her and be able to love her into the present, that's loving her into the present is just such a, an amazing thing to be able to do as a part of the healing process. And you mentioned about the um, program that you've created, the Just As I Am, 12 Steps to Self-Love. And this um, coaching program and, and Latarsha at the top of the show mentioned that she's a transformational coach. And this program that she's created is just phenomenal. It's phenomenal because here it is. She poured into this program everything that was poured into her, all of the work that she had to do on herself, all of the things that she had to do to be able to get to that place of loving herself, setting boundaries, being able to find those safe people, getting rid of people in her life that were no longer serving her a purpose, right? Being able right. to cleanse her mind, her body, and her soul to get to that place of really loving herself from the place where she is today, right? And no longer hurting from that eight-year-old girl that had to endure abuse for 10, 11 years of sexual abuse and then years and years of emotional abuse. She had to do the work. And what I love about that is she didn't just say, okay, I did the work. I'm good. Now I can go on with my life. What she said is, no, I got to turn back and I have to go and I have to get that other woman who's still sitting in her eight-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old self and hasn't been able to find a way to get to the place of healing from her pain. I got to go back and I got to get her and I got to help her understand that just as she is, she's enough. She's enough and she's loved. And so tell us a little bit about the program. When is it starting? Um, because anyone out there who's listening, whether you're listening live, whether you're listening through replay, and this program is not just for women because Latarsha's whole platform is about people healing, right? People breaking their silence and healing from their pain. So men and women have endured the types of trauma that Latarsha has endured. So, and Erica says that, yes, so you're healing into others. And that's what Latarsha is doing with this program. So tell us a little bit, a bit about the Just As I Am 12 Steps to Self-Love Coaching Program, when it starts and how people can go ahead and register because you, you need to register for this program ASAP. You can go, they can go on my website, which mm -hmm. is com, and it'll walk you through um, signing up for the program. It's an online course. I will be launching that course on my birthday, December the 9th. 
All right. So December the 9th, you heard it right here. That program is launching. We'll be running her website across the screen. We're also running the link for where you can purchase her books um, after the show as well. We'll put those links into the comments so that you'll be able to just click on them and be able to um, get right to her book as well as to the coaching program and being able to just see everything that's happening with Latarsha Houghton and all that she has to offer. So we have some more time, Latarsha. I want to get to that place in your story where after all of this has happened, after you've gone through um, having a child by your father, um, you also have a beautiful daughter, Autumn, right? That um, is just has filled your world with so much joy as well. Um, and now here you are all these years later supporting other women, supporting individuals in getting to that place of breaking their silence. What, what is next? What do you see as, you know, what, what's happening now? You know, after you've broken your silence, what do you see as the next steps for Latasha Houghton? So um, it was something I needed to jump back to you real sure. quick. Um, it's about forgiveness. Uh, yes. A lot of times, we go through stuff and we walk around as the victim. Hmm. I did a live on being addicted to being the victim yes. because I was walking around as this victim, but I didn't know how to break that cycle. Hmm. Um, and one of the things I had to do was forgive. Yes. yes. And I feel like forgiveness is the key to break the bondage off of yourself. For Ooh. so long, I walked around um, being bitter, angry, angry that this happened to me, angry that, you know, um, you know, I'm just a mess, mm -hmm. you know? And for so long, I felt like that. I didn't feel like I was enough, yeah. you know? And it wasn't until I started learning how to forgive. Yeah. Well, as I learned how to forgive, that helped me to take back my power. Absolutely. I hated this person or I was bitter with this person. I gave them power over my life. Mm. So Woo. I started reclaiming my power by doing the things that I wanted to do, like breaking my silence. Yes. You know, yes. When I come around, I stopped holding my head down and I started holding my head up and straightening my crown. Yes. I feel like I am a woman. I am enough. Yes. You know, I can do anything that I put my mind to do because God has given me that strength. Yes. He created me in the image as he is. So I had the power that I need to forgive. Mm. I had the power to love again. Yes. I had the power. Everything that was taken from me, I went back and started taking it back. Yes. You know, that last marriage you know, that was not healthy for me. I learned how to love again. I learned how to not bring that baggage into this new marriage, you yes. know, from my abuse, you know, with my son, I walk around with my head high. I don't yeah. walk around with my head down anymore, feeling like, oh, I'm embarrassed about my son. No, my yeah. son is my arm and we doing this together. And I Amen. love him. Ooh. You, know, you know, I took him out of the facility that he was in. He yes. don't know no longer have to live in that facility. He can be home with mom because mom mm. is not going to look at him like she used to, you know, look at him when I was in that bondage, you know? So Ooh. now he's home with me. I don't have to look at my son and see my father. You know, I look at my son and see my son for who he is and I love him. My so, God. you know, reclaiming my power means mm. that I no longer have to sleep in my clothes like I used to as a teenager because I'm thinking that my abuser is going to have that access to me. I'm now sleeping in my pajamas. You know, I am now able to speak up for myself. If you say something to me that hurts me or bothers me, I can come to you and say, hey, what you said to me, I didn't like that. I didn't appreciate that. You know, it don't have to be no bad feelings, but I'm still going to let you know that that hurt me, that bothered me. So I'm not going to sit back and sit in silence anymore. You yes. know, I'm going to let that shade fly over my head anymore. I'm going to address it and say, hey, what did you mean by the statement you just made? I yes. said, about that, you know, and so now, you know, I'm, I'm standing firm, you mm. know, I'm walking in my purpose, you know, and I'm not looking at my situation like, oh, pity me. No, yeah. I'm 
looking at that situation like, okay, I've overcame this. Now I got to turn this back around and I got to help the next person. And if it all the life out of me or the last breath out of me, helping this next person to get to where they want to be, that is what God used me for. Yes. I'm just in a place in my life now that I am happy. You know, Mm. I'm happy. You know, I used to fake the funk. I used to wear that mask over my face and I could not be who I needed to be because I did not know how to be authentic. I Mm. felt like I was two-faced. I felt like I was just this person that just didn't know who I was. But now, you know, I'm able to show up and be present and be happy and be happy for the next person. Yes. But it took me a long time to get there because it was a process because of the way of thinking that I used to think. But now God is like, okay, you know, I need you to do X, Y, Z. And when you are in tune with the spirit, you got to walk in alignment with God. You got to, no matter how embarrassing it is, you got to walk in alignment. You got to do what God is calling you to do because people may look, you might look bad to anybody, but in God's eyes, you look beautiful. And that's how I feel. And I feel like God is using me the way that he needs to use me. And I'm so grateful, you Mm. know, because, you know, and in, in losing my mom, you know, yeah. I'm so grateful that I was able to forgive my mom because when you yes. lose a mom, it hits different. Yeah. It hits so different. And mm-hmm. so now, you know, I'm so grateful because when I look at her, my mom is the one who taught me how to pray. My mom yeah. was a powerful praying woman. You know, she taught me how to forgive. She forgave everybody. And I would be looking at her like, why are you letting this woman back in your house? Mm. Why are you being around this person? Now I understand. Like, I couldn't see it before. But now I understand that that forgiveness was not for that other person. That forgiveness was for her. And so now it has helped me to let go and forgive people because now it given me all the freedom that I need. And when God talks about love covers a multitude of sin, yes. I'm much happier and much lighter, lighter because I was able to forgive and love this person even after everything that we've been through, you know. And I, I, I wrote letters in the book yeah. on forgiveness. Yes. Let me, let me say this because I, I definitely, uh, first of all, the comments are like blowing up, okay? Because everybody is like, and my, I, I have chills and goosebumps like running up and down my spine because literally you set things off when you talked about forgiveness and how the key is to forgive and how important it is to forgive and that your mom even in in all the years where you suffered you know at the hands of your abusers and your mom didn't know right Mm -hmm. and even if she had some type of inkling and may not have done anything at the time you still were able to get to a place of fully forgiving her. And she was the one who taught you how to forgive. Right. And mm-hmm. hmm. okay. I, I'm, I'm about to get choked up because, you know, I think about how people have endured so many things and just cannot forgive. Right. They've endured some of the most horrific things. One of your fellow um, cocoon Wings authors, Jamie bird grant, she's here. She's shouting you out. She talks about forgiveness in her book as well. And just to just to know that through everything that you endured at the hands of every one of your abusers, you were able to stand firm and say, I will not allow you to take my power. God is so intentional, Kim says. I will not allow you to take my power. I will not allow you to have me walking around here with my head held low because I know who I am, right? I'm a daughter of the king. And so I am going to keep my crown on. You can try to knock it off, but I'm always going to keep my crown on and stay in the position and the posture of who God has called you to be. And that posture is what allows you to walk in your purpose and continue in that purpose to be able to help other people break their silence. So I want you to share. um, And everybody, I want you to get this book. I want you to get this book. I want you to get this book because I'm telling you tears, you will be, you will be crying. You will be like, Um, I I just want to like, you know, flip some tables over when you read this book and the things that this woman endured and to be on this side of the table now and to be able to stand firm in who she is and to support all these other people because she has blessed so many people through her programs and her services and just through her life 
and through her voice. She has blessed so many people to come out of that place of pain, come out of that place of, of silence and to be able to open their mouth and say, no matter what I've been through, I can still hold my head high. I don't have to be a victim. So I want everybody to get this book. I'm going to have Latarsha read just a little bit of one of the letters that she wrote to one of her abusers. Um, and, and you will understand truly how the power of forgiveness can set you free. So go ahead, Latarsha. I said, finally, it registered within me. For me to take back my power, I had to release you. Simple things in life weren't so simple. For years, I was afraid to even wear pajamas to bed. As a form of protection from you, I slept in my clothes. The abuse I endured was very traumatic and it's taken a toll on my life. But again, faith through anything is possible. Change is one of the one in constant in life. I believe that breaking my silence gave me the, fr the freedom to and the courage to stand up for myself. I can now sleep in my pajamas peacefully. When I speak, I am heard. I'm a woman walking in my truth and no longer living the life of a victim. I am no longer compelled to people please and I can say no because I don't need acceptance. This is what I call taking back my power and living a life of purpose. Today, I declare that I am a free woman and I forgive you with all my heart for all the sins you committed against me. I vow to use my life story to save many. Thank you for bringing me into this world because now I see God's good and perfect will for my life. Love you, your daughter always, Latarsha. And yes. I, and, you know, when people don't know how to forgive, you can write a letter. If you don't feel like you want to give them the letter, just write it just to get it out so that you can forgive. You can burn it. You can do whatever yes. you want. But write the letter. Write letters to yourself. Start journaling. Yes. Talking about those feelings, you know, talk about what you're going through. So by the time you finish doing that journaling, you'll have your whole book and be ready to call Cocoon to publish. <laughs> publishing so you can write your book. Oh, I thank love you for that. I love oh. you. I'm so grateful oh, for you. Yeah. I'm so grateful for just the calls, everything that you did to help me to get through. Your whole team was awesome. Oh. And I can't wait to... Um, to see what God is going to do next. Yeah. And we know he has some amazing, amazing things in store for you. And we, we at Cocoon to Wings Publishing, we just thank you. Um, we thank you for trusting us with this story because the weight of it is so heavy. Um, but the freedom in you breaking your silence is what's so powerful. And it lifts the weight off of others because now they know they can break their silence too. And so Breaking the silence, everyone. Breaking the silence by Latarsha Houghton. Get your copy. Get the book because you want to know how she got to this place. Um, she only shared snippets of this, and her start her story is heart wrenching. But to see the smile on her face today, to see the glow that she carries, to know all of what she walked through, and, and for her to know that it was all for God's good, good purpose. Yes, it's truly a blessing, as Kim says. So this was such a wonderful way to close out season two. I thank you, Latarsha. I love you. My team loves you. Um, we are just so grateful for you breaking your silence and sharing. Ray says, beautiful. Just thank being you. so willing to break your silence and to continue to keep your mouth open, right? to share yeah. your story, to set so many free. Um, you are truly God's mouthpiece and I honor you and I bless you. And I just want to continue to encourage you um, to keep going out there and sharing with the world what it means to break their silence and heal their pain. Uh, giving her yes and blessing yeah. others. Amen, amen, amen. So we thank you. Thank you everyone for joining us. Those of you who were able to join us live, those of you who are going to catch the replay, those of you who will listen um, through the podcast, the writer's anointing, we just thank you so much. Um, so blessed for season two, and we look forward to 2022 and all that it has to offer um, when we come back with season three. And so 
If you are an author and you understand this platform, that you are an anointed writer, you have a message to share, and you would love to be a part of season three of Storytime with Stephanie, send us an email at info at We would love to hear more about you, your books, and your platform so that we can have you on as a guest. Latarsha, thank you so much. We love you. We appreciate yes. you. Thanks, everyone, so much. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Be blessed and be safe. And we will see you back for season three in 2022. Good night, everyone. Good night.